0: marvel movie minute a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the marvel cinematic universe one minute at a time in this is our fourth season we're looking at kenneth branagh's 2011 film thor i'm matthew fox from the EthicalPanda.com,
1: and i'm andy nelson from the next real film podcast
0: happy thor's day andy today we're talking about minute four which begins with concern that thor is dead and it ends with anthony Hopkins telling us a story We'll grabbed you about
1: this minute? Uh, you know, I mean, this is a, definitely a bifurcated minute, right? We have kind of the end of the last scene or the, the scene we're currently looking at where they've just hit somebody with their vehicle. And now there's some concern about what happened. And then where does he come from? And then we kind of go into this uh, this this past story. We're, we're kind of looking at a, kind of a historical flashback, if you will. And so I, I think that's that's what I find interesting is that um it really feels like we're at a point now where we're gonna do some uh setting of the stage.
0: The thing I think really grabbed me is we had just talked about how so much of this is about the world of science is scientifically discovering this world that seems mystical, but we're being scientists about it. And then one of the first things that uh Odin says, the Anthony Hopkins voice says, is You know, there once was a time when humanity accepted the truth, which is interesting because we stopped, quote-unquote, accepting that truth because of the advance of science. And so I thought that was just kind of a fun little juxtaposition. Uh, And we're going to get into that, but let's have a quick moment first.
1: Want to wear some Marvel Movie Minute-inspired clothing? Maybe looking for a mug with our logo on it? Find what you're looking for at our online store. Just head to truestory.fm slash Marvel Movie Minute and click on Merch.
0: We literally begin with Jane kind of seeing Thor. And she gets that great line, you know, please don't be dead, please don't be dead, which I think is kind of a fun, like, I don't think she, you could see that in a very selfish way. I don't think she means it in that way, but it is that kind of like, you know, her concern is like, oh, God, this is gonna be really bad for me if, if you're dead, you know, which I think is kind of a fun moment for her.
1: Oh, well, although for Darcy's from Darcy's perspective, her comment is, I think that was legally your fault.
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> even more so the, the the literally passing the buck of like who, you know, we're not throwing someone under the van. We're saying who's responsible for someone else getting thrown under the van. <laughs> right? <laughs> The things that really struck out at me, and we're later going to have a guest on, and we're going to talk a lot about the the, the female gaze and the male gaze and how this movie avoids a lot of the kind of male gaze tropes and, and what, what all that means. But I think it's interesting, therefore, that, like, this is the first time we're seeing Thor, but we're not really seeing him. We're seeing him in the, the background of the shot. We're not seeing, like, the distinctive features of Chris Hemsworth's face. Uh, what we're seeing is Jane's reaction to him. And her having this kind of moment of, like, you know, at first she's, like, so concerned, are you dead? And then clearly there's something that happens to her because she has this moment of just almost, like, wonder, you know? It's not quite just the thirst moment of, like, wow, this guy's really hot. It's, like, there's something different about this moment. What what was kind of your feeling on, on, like, seeing, having us introduced to Thor through Jane's eyes in such a powerful way?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really interesting direction that they chose to take here, where we, we never see him. And I, oh, first of all, I do like the way that Brana structured this part of the story, where it is very mysterious. We don't know that it's Thor. We don't know it's Chris Hemsworth. I mean, we don't know anything other than it was a shadowy figure that they struck with their vehicle. And I think that's very creative, the way that they kind of allow that potential mystery of who this was that they actually hit with their vehicle i find that to be just an interesting way to approach it and the fact we don't see him what we see is her reaction and i love the way you described it because yeah i mean first of all it's natalie portman i mean just a beautiful shot of her uh with her beautiful face as she looks at him but she's it's just her and it's her face lit with the flashlights it's such an interesting way to light it, and it's, but it's just—I it, don't know—it's just it's a beautifully created shot that allows us to see her, kind of almost like, kind of taking a breath in in surprise at what she has discovered here. And I, I find that like she's clearly taken, and I find that to be uh, a pretty interesting way to kind of approach this moment.
0: Now, one thing I thought that was interesting, and you pointed this out, is if Eric is sort of the parent here. You'd think that this would be the moment where he would speak up and be like, okay, you two need to calm down because your fighting just meant we almost killed, we might have killed somebody here. Yeah, yeah. He, I don't think, does he say a word during the scene?
1: He doesn't say anything. When we when we see this scene continue, he will have some things that he does say, but at this particular point, there's nothing. And, I mean, he's scripted saying things, but the way that they put it together, there's nothing from him.
0: Which I think is definitely very interesting. Yeah. So then we kind of we have that beautiful moment, and then we go into again a little bit of you know early credits. Uh, once again, it's Paramount and Marvel. Uh, enjoy that now; that's not going to stick around for long. Uh, anything kind of just in terms of the way that's done grab you about the way the the, the quick opening credits moment to transition? Well,
1: you know, I I, I think that um, it's it's a moment where. Uh, again, it's it's kind of like a beat. You're right. We're getting a beat here, a break of this story, which ends on her question, which I love. You know, where did he come from? I think that's a great question that we have. And then you have this kind of soft boom sound that's kind of like boom. It's real soft, but it's like this this clear sound you can hear as we cut to black. It's kind of like the mic drop sort of moment. We come up on the Paramount Pictures. This, I mean, we actually get Marvel twice. We get Paramount Pictures and Marvel Entertainment and then we get a marvel studios production um so you're kind of getting the sense of the 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 two different marvel families uh behind all of this but I, I but i like that it sets the stage there for what we're stepping into here which is this flashback it is this moment and so i don't know it just it felt like a nice moment to allow for that question to roll for a moment as we were we ourselves were asking that
0: right cuz in some regard what you basically get is she asks the question. What she means is, like, where was he 10 seconds ago? Why is he here now? But obviously there's a much deeper, like, answer to the question. And we're sort of getting, like, Odin saying, like, oh, you want to answer the question? Well, okay, let me tell you the answer to that question, but I need to go back to the very beginning, you know? And, and like, often moments like that I can have a sort of bit of an eye roll to the director of, like, okay, I see what you did there. You're trying to be cute. That moment totally worked because you get that little boom, you get that um, just moment of the credits and a little bit again, the sort of soft building music. And then Odin starts telling the story. It just felt to me like it was a transition that really worked because it's now, now we're back into this other time. We're back into this magical realm that is completely different from science, but we do know it's gonna be scientifically explained, but you had that transition and I, and I just love the way they put that together.
1: I, I completely agree with your point. It's really interesting. It's interesting how it's scripted. Let me just read this because it's actually Heimdall who pops in here. We don't get a flashback uh, to Tonsburg, uh, Norway, 965. I, w- let me just read how, what Heimdall says. And actually, I was wrong earlier. This was the place where we would have had what we see over the end credits of the film, where we see the stars, we see uh, kind of all these galaxies, and then we kind of pull out and we see Idrisil in space. That's basically what happens while Heimdall has this this voiceover. Questions. They've always asked questions, this race called man on this planet they call Earth, passionately longing to know how they are connected to the heavens. In ages past they looked to us as gods, for indeed so many times we saved them from calamity. We tried to show them how their world was but one of the nine realms of the cosmos, linked to all others by the branches of Yggdrasil, the world's tree. Nine realms in a universe of wonder, beauty and terror that they barely comprehended. But for all their thirst for knowledge, they let our lessons fall into myth and dreams. Where did he come from? He came from us, the proudest race of warriors the worlds have ever seen. He came from this, the greatest realm the universe has ever known. We move through the galaxy's mists and astral matter over and up through a band of prismatic color to reveal what's on the other side. Then Heimdall kicks in again. He came from Asgard. So that would have kind of eliminated this entire uh, flashback and we would have gone straight through the cosmos up through yggdrasil into asgard it's an it's an interesting perspective to kind of take that route you know I, I i it's fine but when i see this setting of the story one we get a sense of the frost giants which we don't get through any of that it it gives us um kind of a sense of history and and for, from from my perspective i really appreciate that
0: I have mixed feelings when I read this because like, I'll just say the one reason why I like this and a little part of me wishes something of it had been in the script is, I realize you're going to be listening to this uh, sometime after we recorded it, but at the time of recording it, I've recently seen the Suicide Squad movie. And so with that in mind, it reminds me that Idris Elba was criminally underused in, I think, the entire Thor franchise. Like To me, it's the single biggest complaint I maybe have about this movie is that he is just such a phenomenal actor who doesn't get enough to do. And so part of me is like, yeah, give him more to say. That would have been great. But like, you know how I just said that I think sometimes directors can be too cute with the whole, like, Jane asked this question, but really it's this question. This is exactly what I meant. <laughs> this year, I feel like yeah. the writer was exactly doing the too cute thing I meant. Like, when Heimdall literally answers the question, I'm like, oh, come on. Like, <laughs> we're not eight years old here. I know. Nothing wrong with an eight-year-old watching the movie, but you know what I mean. Uh, yep. Right so I do feel you. like it's interesting that they changed it. And I like that we get more of the Yggdrasil stuff because, we'll, as we'll talk later, that stuff is straight out of Norse mythology. Like, sure, yeah. a lot of this is, is the Thor of the comic books, which is not Thor of, you know, as two Jewish guys from New York writing the story. It's not Norse history being written into comic books. But that this moment is very much taken. So I, I like that part of it. But overall, I, I think this is a big improvement to do it the way they did.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, as you mentioned, we do have Odin Allfather, who is doing the voice over here. That's Anthony Hopkins. Uh, if you were to guess what hard. four films would pop up on IMDb for old Anthony Hopkins, uh, or should I say Sir Anthony Hopkins, I believe he has been knighted, uh, any ideas?
0: So I have to start with a thing that introduced me to Anthony Hopkins, which is Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know much about him before then. I think I was maybe like 13 years old. Um, but so that's going to be my first. I do think that's still considered one of his sort of, um, foundational movies. Um, there's some ridiculous thing he made with Nicolas Cage about him flying through the air, and I don't, or no, someone, no, I think someone just looked like him in that. I don't know, but it definitely, I have no idea what that movie was, but it's definitely not, <laughs> not that. Um, my mother was a huge, huge period, uh, period piece person. So I feel there, there's a movie... I think it's Remains of the Day but it's a uh Ivory Merchant movie where he plays So, like it, you know I know that he was the the father figure in the movie that every teenage girl I knew went absolutely crazy about because it was uh uh Brad Pitt and someone else in World War 1 and Anthony Hopkins was the father
1: Legends of the Fall.
0: Yep. Legend of the Fall, thank you. I think Remains of the Day was was the Ivory Merchant like Edwardian period piece that I never saw but I know that's very popular. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just feel like he's done so much else since then. I'm trying to remember what else he's done. Um, it's not a movie, but a TV show. Westworld, I think, is one of the things that he's done that he had a very big part in. Um, and so I think maybe – so I'm going to say Silence of the Lambs. I'm going to say Westworld. And then maybe Remains of the Day and um, uh, Legend of the Fall. But those two less likely. Those are the only two I can think of.
1: Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, he's just finished a film which will be his 84th film that he's wow. been in, not to mention his TV credits. He's got 50 TV credits. So he is a very busy actor. He, uh, you know, he was at a point in his career where he seemed like he was going to retire, but then he just keeps working, and I, I love that. Uh, and he just won an Oscar uh, last year for The Father, which was a fantastic performance in that film, if, if you haven't seen it yet. But according to IMB, the four films that uh, that I... that anthony hopkins is known for you were right the silence of the lambs is number one and that would be exactly what i would say as my number one also because uh you know that certainly was where i first really came uh, to know him the second one was when he played alfred hitchcock in the film hitchcock hitchcock which was all about oh, kind of the production okay. of psycho the third film which is a very again obscure one was the world's fastest indian where he's uh, riding one of the indian uh, motorbikes across the desert
0: can I quick change my vote for number four?
1: Okay, sure. What's number four?
0: I'm wondering if maybe it's Nixon, because I don't know he played he played Richard Nixon in that movie.
1: He did play Richard Nixon in, uh, in all of Oliver Stone's film. But that wasn't it. If you had gone a much uh, softer route, not quite so Oliver Stone, but more maybe Steven Spielberg, and you went with Amistad, where he played John Quincy Adams, then you would have been right. Oh, okay. And now oh, we yeah, have yeah. a crossover. He and Stellan Skarsgård both appeared in... In Amistad.
0: There you go. There you uh, go. And and I have to say, if I don't get Idris Alba's voice reading exposition to me, Anthony Hopkins is like, you know, <laughs> it's not a step down. Like, it's, you know yes, certainly. If you want to talk about two great English actors with fantastic voices, and I I, I know the wire had been made before this, but I I feel like many the Wire, I think, is another thing that is criminally unknown in terms of how few people have seen it. Per- personally, I think it's one of the best TV shows ever made. And so, my it's we really float when we get Heimdall on screen. We, we can talk about this more. My sense, though, is that Idris Elba wasn't really a household name the way Anthony Hopkins was. So that may also be part of like why they give these lines to Odin instead.
1: That that could be entirely possible. Also, I mean, I will say. You know, even though Heimdall is kind of the, the all seeing that we have in the story, who's on who's guarding the Bifrost, he runs the observatory, like he sees all, which I really like about that. Um, I kind of because the way he's portrayed in the film is being such a stoic, I have a hard time seeing him kind of having these sorts of speeches, where it makes sense for me coming from somebody like the king himself, Odin. So I, I can see that playing out a little more, uh, the way they chose to do it.
0: Especially because I have to say, I don't love the way they frame the humanity as guardian relationship in this, in that it's really playing into that. first of all, there's a thing in science fiction that comes up of like human exceptionalism, where humans are always like so fascinating because we have all these questions and we are so curious and we always want to know everything about the world. And I, I sort of wonder, like, why do we think other alien races don't have that, you know? But but more The Heimdall speech goes so far into this idea of, you know, the humans always have to be, like, saved by the Asgardians. And isn't it this terrible thing that, like, they've forgotten all that we've taught them? What actually happens from Hopkins is so much more subtle, where Odin just says, "...once mankind accepted a simple truth, that they were not alone in this universe. Some worlds man believed to be home to their gods, others they knew to fear." And to me, that's such a broader view of the universe, because then it's again, it's not now just like the Asgardians and the humans and like nothing else was out there. But also, it's just much more subtle. And I, I just I just like that framing. I think that setup works a lot better for this world.
1: Yeah, I I, I think that it's really nice, the, the way that it sounds. And this, I think we're going to be talking a lot about the nature of Asgardians as we, uh, as they fit into kind of our stories and everything. Um, And well, and I will have some questions because there's something I think that Anthony Hopkins will say in the next minute as kind of a continuation of this speech that I do have a little bit more of a question about. But largely, I think it is really interesting the way that it sets it up where, you know, they're, they're just other beings that are out there and we all kind of share this space. We've just kind of forgotten that. right? Yeah. I, I want to I bring something up, and I, I think this is an interesting thing that the filmmakers chose to do. And I, especially, I'm curious, from your perspective, being somebody who has kind of a theological background, we get the title coming up on the screen as we're introduced to our location here. It's Tunsberg, Norway, 965 A.D. Now, we'll talk about Tunsberg here in a moment, but I want to talk right now about this 965 A.D. I find it interesting that in this story, in this particular Story about these other beings um, that you know we might have seen as mythological gods or something that they're actually using the AD designation because AD is a very Christian-based designation. The whole BC before Christ, AD Anno Domini. Uh, the fact that they're using that instead of something like CE. Which has become uh it's it's the more non-religious or more interfaith kind of way that you would designate a year these days. Now, I know A D is much more easy. Like I, I think for a lot of people, the BC A D designation just it's it's a clear thing that you see on screen. So perhaps they just didn't even think about it. They just kind of put it there because that's what they've always put. Um, but I do find it interesting in the story about, you know, God's in a in a story about uh, you know you know is is it the Christian based world with God still as God in a story about gods?
0: Yeah, it's an interesting one, especially because I'm when I hear this discussion, the immediate thing I think of is the line from Avengers where Natasha warns Steve Rogers, you know, you're up against a God, and he says, you know, there's only one God, ma'am, and he doesn't dress like that. Uh, (laughs) which I thought was kind of an interesting, like, it's Steve Rogers saying that he's still a believing Christian or monotheist, but it seemed kind of like the universe, it's kind of like the writers being like, no, no, there is a God, but it's not all these Norse gods, you know? Here again, I wonder, kind of like the discussion we had a while ago about, like, is New Mexico the best story choice or is it cheaper? Yeah, I know that Marvel, especially at this point, was very, very careful to not offend people. And they always wanted to have as broad an audience as possible. And so when I look at that, I, again, my memory of what things were like 11 years ago is not perfect, but my, my memory is that the, 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 like I remember like when I was doing academic, academic work, only about five years before then, we were all told not to use AD, but that felt like a fairly recent shift. And my, and that was in like kind of super progressive academia. So I would actually, I I think for me, it is an interesting point. Well, I think there's kind of three things I would say. One is that to the people of Tonesburg, Norway at the time, it is very much A.D. And so perhaps there would be like, you know, the records that this comes from, they would call it A.D. A second thing is, I think there could be an interesting theological point they're trying to make of like, we're still using that calendar and those gods fit in kind of a reminder of like, this is still a world in which... The Christian God is, is you know, the thing people believe in, although not in Norway at that time. Well, actually, no, I take all that back because the, at this point in time, Norway hadn't been Chris, Christianized. So, yeah, th- those people would definitely not be using AD. So ignore that point entirely. <laughs> and uh, those of you who are already halfway through typing out angry emails, perhaps you can, you know, hear that I've adjusted it. <laughs> Though, please send that because I'm a raging egotist, so I want any kind of interaction from you all. <laughs> But honestly, I, I, I'm i going to say the biggest the biggest thing that I would think is that it was Marvel sort of having just this, like, why rock the boat? You know, that's that's some people are, you know, some angry church is going to be like, oh, Marvel is all, I think, you know, it actually is the more I think of it. Like, I did remember reading, um I've read a couple of biographies of Stan Lee, and one of the things that he talks about when he was creating Thor was that there was someone in the back of their mind, like, you know. The Comics Code of America was still a thing when Thor was being written, which for those who don't know, like it it was there was a lot of censorship of comics and a lot of like comics have to tell like good, wholesome American stories. And and he kind of like he briefly mentions it he doesn't go into much detail, but he says like he wasn't really sure how like Christian Middle America would respond to a story about a pagan god, a Norse god. And so I do think that ethos has always been a little bit in the back of people's minds. Now, as we get into more, Stan Lee had nothing to do with the writing of this movie. But by this point, he's totally disconnected from all these movies. But but I guess to me, that, that, that would be my guess. If I see AD, I, think, I don't think they're trying to make a theological point. I think they're trying not to anger people. I-
1: yeah, I mean, you're probably right. And I, I think the part of that is also they just didn't even think about it, it didn't cross their mind. But I do I, 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 do think that there's probably just some level of, as a company, we're just going to play it safe and and put it this way just because it's less likely to create any sort of Internet controversy. And that is certainly something that, you know, they do consider as we've come to learn over the course of, of this uh Kind of the continuation of this franchise and and when people might say something that is controversial and they fire them and things like that. I mean, it certainly is something that does happen. They do like to avoid
0: controversy. Uh, again, having just watched the movie James Gunn did while he wasn't making <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy 3, yeah. Uh, let's talk uh, not just the AD, but uh, Tonesburg, Norway, winds up becoming a very important town in the MCU, right? What, what what else happens here? Well,
1: it's it's just so interesting. And first of all, just to point out that Tunsberg should be written with the slashed O for the T O. It should have that slash in it, um, which we, they will actually correct in subsequent films, which I think is funny. But I mean, yeah, it's it's it is kind of a prom. I mean, it is first of all, it is a real place in Norway. Generally regarded the oldest city in Norway, founded by the Vikings in the ninth century. So to that end, like they're doing everything right as far as what they're putting on the screen here, nine sixty five A.D. Sure, it all sounds just right, but other other than that, it's they pretty much fictionalize the place. They don't even film in Norway. They when when we do see it in later films, it's Scotland, I think, where they're always filming. Um, regardless we have a setting here we will next see it in captain america because it happens to be where red skull comes to find the tesseract there's debate about in in thor ragnarok if when we see odin kind of on that green hill if that's actually tunsberg but he does say maybe you'll settle here so people have largely thought oh, well maybe it's tunsberg and then last but not least of course is is endgame when we see uh where thor has been hanging out and uh Eventually, uh, he and Valkyrie kind of uh, settle as the new Asgard.
0: New Asgard, yeah. yeah which, which <clears throat> we'll get into more later. But I, 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 when you talked about the sort of new Asgard they built over Oklahoma, I kind of wonder how similar that is to what gets built in Tonesburg. Uh,
1: not to me. That, it's floating over Oklahoma, so I'd say it's a little bit different. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like a giant <laughs> castle. Yeah,
0: that's awesome. And to me, I think it's very interesting because, especially to me. Knowing that there's just all these connections between Asgard and this one very specific part of Scandinavia, what is today Norway, it for me like it, it it does make me feel like kind of Odin in that moment was like, no no no, I'm sending you to Midgard, but I'm not even just sending you to like the place where we all know. I'm sending you to like the very furthest thing you could have <laughs> from like frost and Scandinavians, and you know, we're sending you to New Mexico. You know, so that that I think is kind of a fun moment. Uh, in Tonesburg, we do meet a couple of characters who very quickly have a bad end before they uh, get to speak or, or really have an impact, but there's certainly have a, two of them have a very powerful visual shot. Who do we meet in Tonesburg?
1: Yeah, this is, uh, you, as we're kind of meeting some of these uh, early Vikings, these, these Norwegians and everything, um, the camera just lingers. I mean, there, there are a number of them, and, and you know, some of them are credited, some of them aren't. There's a Viking elder, Alexander Wright. I have no idea which one he is. It's so dark. In this uh, in this particular scene, a number of other Vikings, but we very specifically focus on a Viking mother and a Viking child. Carrie Lazar plays the Viking mother, and Harley Graham plays this little Viking child. And if anything, I would say that, again, it's a kind of a filmmaking technique, storytelling technique, where we have Odin describing this situation and setting us up, but the camera moves in on these two to allow us to find somebody to identify with in this particular moment of the story.
0: Yeah, so we only get a couple cuts of that, we only get a couple moments of them on screen, and we'll get two of them, as you said, are kinda kinda have a, a bigger role in the next minute. But I think it's a nice it's a nice way again of it's easy to tell a story about like You know this thing happened to ten thousand people, but still, when you when you give a human face to the people we're talking about here, I I think that's really powerful.
1: Well, and and it comes right at a moment in Odin's speech where he's talking about you know as as you already read some worlds man believed to be home to their gods, and now we're seeing the mother and girl as they're looking up to the sky, and he says others they knew to fear, and so we're like. I mean, the way the story is leading. Okay, something that is scary is coming. Like that's kind of what we're what's happening here, right?
0: Right, definitely. So, and I, I talked a few minutes ago about that uh, sort of feeling like we're now going back into the well, but sometimes science can like lead you to forget things instead of learning things. What, did you feel like that? Am I just kind of reading too much into that, or do you feel there's an interesting dichotomy there of Odin sort of talking about this time when man knew things because we hadn't yet scientifically proven that that other worlds didn't weren't populated or things like that
1: know, i don't know i mean i feel like at this particular point like the people he's talking about were people who accepted this simple truth that they weren't alone and that they believed there were gods and they believed you know we've got to be afraid of some of this stuff as it so happens the people who are coming right now are ones we should be afraid of right it's, it's so they're they're completely in that space where i guess you would say you know the rest of humanity will be in the Marvel Cinematic Universe um, very in the next couple films. Like by the time we're done with the Avengers, I'd say that humanity largely is back in this space.
0: Sure. And I just meant I, I feel like to me, the implication is and this is even more true in what Heimdall says about what we specifically he calls out they've forgotten. But I felt like even in Odin, part of what the implication is, is humanity used to know this, but they forgot. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, and so there's a little bit of a like, you know, the the moving away from the myths isn't always, you know, a move towards truth. Well,
1: did they forget or were they all frozen?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, also, also possibly true. Also possibly true. Yeah. I think so much of this scene sets up a lot of things that's going to come in just a, in just literally the next minute. So this might be a good time to kind of start wrapping up. Are there any other kind of big things from this specific minute you want to get into? Just the
1: fact that, you know, we're also introducing another piece of Patrick Doyle's music, which is always great. And I just love hearing Patrick Doyle's music. So, yes, the prologue music is kicking in. And it's just lovely. So, uh, yeah. but that's it. That's otherwise. I think we kind of, uh, you know, hit all the big points in this yeah. minute.
0: You know, there are moments where the music feels like its own separate thing. In this moment, especially to me, what it feels like is that Anthony Hopkins' speech is a spoken word performance with musical background. You know, I mean the 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 score and his speech just are so perfectly paired together. Yeah, that it really felt to me like just one in the same
1: yeah absolutely and, you know the only last thing that i'd say just to just to call out the people who are credited as vikings we have hillary pingle sean colin young kinsey mclean kelly hawthorne and then uncredited there's also vanessa bednar and michelle sitos um, so they're all out there you know somewhere in the dark running around from the ice
0: one thing that marvel has done has kind of taught us as audiences to respect the credits more The credits used to always be the time where I was, like, putting on my coat. I was seeing how much popcorn I'd knocked over and trying to clean that (laughs) up and, you know, getting ready to talk to my friends about what you like about the movie. And and I think, in part, they just wanted to, you know, have a little bit more movie making with all the the post-credit scenes. But I think one, one, you know, effect of that is that now we've all sat through an awful lot more credit scenes than at least I ever used to. And I know uh, (laughs) one of our guests is going to come on towards the end specifically asked to be on the credits because his family both his parents were in movie making so i i really appreciate that we're naming all those people because i think that's kind of part of the marvel the mcu idea is like we shouldn't just think about the top credit people like let's pay attention to all of the literally hundreds of people who worked to make this to make this movie happen
1: oh yeah lots and lots of people so uh, kudos to all of them for the work that they've put into this
0: yeah, and so all those people deserve credit. And, you know, in terms of this podcast, with this podcast happens because of you who listen, those of you who subscribe. So kudos to all of you. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.
1: Until next time, true believers.
0: Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is One Last Rhyme by Martin Puringer. Find the show at truestory.fm And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show.